Welcome to Gospel Tangents, the best source for Mormon history, science, and theology, and first daily Mormon history podcast. I'm Rick Bennett. In our next conversation with author Dave Butler, we're going to talk about the Lord's Prayer. Is that also a temple text? He makes the case that it is, so you won't want to miss this conversation. Check it out. Now, I, I have no idea, Rick, what you thought what I was going to talk about when we showed up here. So, like, if you're saying now, Dave, I really feel like that's enough and I want you to stop. I want to give you the option to tell me to stop and go away. Or we can talk about six and seven. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Do you just break it? If it's, like, longer, do you break it up into longer chunks or do you do more chunks? Depends. Depends. Okay, fair enough. You're looking for like a, a good rest place. I should stop every every once in a while and just look heroically at the wall, so it's a good place for you to cut. <laughs> I should have should have choreographed. Um, but but I I'm gonna keep going. Uh, it's gonna get more mind blowing. But again, hoechon ota akueto. He who has now, when ears. When you start doing these other languages, I can't I do any Greek no anymore. Idea. Well, you can, but you're going to have to send me the Greek because, you know, I make transcripts. Oh, you do transcripts. Yeah. Well, it's the, I keep saying the same one. So I'll just send okay. you the transcript. Okay, I'll send it to you once. I'll stop like, saying it. I don't it in know Greek. Greek. I don't know Hebrew. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> English, you know, I can do a little for Although Chat GPT can probably figure it I'll tell you a funny story. This just happened. Okay. Um, so I'm a science fiction writer and editor, also, right? And a friend of mine. Um, I'm not going to name him, although his fans are, there's no way they're going to see this. Um, he, he says, I, th there's this alien race in my science fiction epic, and I want them to speak Akkadian. Dave, can you translate about 15 sentences into Akkadian? And I'm like, no problem. <laughs> so he sends over the sentences, and one was really hard because it's sort of abstract. But most of them, I'm sitting there, and I'm like getting back to the grammar, like, oh, yeah, oh, that's right. That's how I do this. And and I so trans you can speak Akkadian too? Well, uh, look, if you go in my house and, and look around for books on languages, there's like 35 languages represented. It doesn't mean I can read them all. Oh. It means I've spent some time with all of them. Wow. Right? Akkadian's a fun one, though. Um, so I wrote these sentences. Okay, this is the point. The book just came out in its early release form, and his fans, who are very sort of on the spectrum, you know, right? trying to figure out what these, all these words mean. So they fed him into chat GPT and said, what language are these things? And the chat GPT correctly identified all of my sentences as Akkadian. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and then gave 100% different translations. Oh. And my first reaction was like, wow, I suck at Akkadian. But then I like went and checked some things, and I was like, no, 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 no. Chat GPT sucks at Akkadian. Chat GPT sucks at Akkadian. So, so uh, for, for these translations to be correct, it's not that I would have had to have made a mistake or two. It's that I would have had to have been 100% wrong, writing correct, grammatically perfect sentences that did not say what I thought they said, right? <laughs> That's not what... Instead, Chat GPT correctly spotted the Akkadian and then BSed the translations. So his readers, this is like with those, those lawyers got disciplined like last year because they, they had, a, had chat GPT write their legal brief and it made up cases that don't exist, <laughs> right? So chat GPT said, yes, Akkadian, and then made up the translation because it couldn't figure out the, uh, it couldn't figure out what it said. 
So I think though, Chat GPT could probably translate the Greek. That's what I'm saying. Okay. If you, if you, if you, uh, um, but who has? What does it do Klingon? <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. My, my, I don't know. Don't know the answer. Um, I'm going to go through six and seven here. Uh, you're going to see more stuff. I'm going to point out more Book of Mormon communications or, or or appearances. Those of you who are convinced there's no temple in the Book of Mormon are getting more irritated at me, and that's fine. You are <laughs> wrong. Uh, so, um, but those who have ears to hear, right, hopefully are going, oh, yeah, there's something that's awfully like an ordinance structure in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 6. I'm just going to skip it all. Matthew 1 through 5 uh, is all of this. Well, Matthew 1 through 4 is this discussion of doing alms. A um, uh, couple things here. One, how do you do alms? Well, if you read the discussion, uh, you do it in secret. And you do it with your hands. Because your hands are not allowed to know what the other hand is doing. Which is interesting, because to me that suggests maybe what's going on here are some kind of hand gestures that are supposed to be kept secret. The other odd thing about these verses, one through four, is uh, that they say alms. Alms, 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 alms. They're actually two different words that are being translated with the same alms. The first, the first of the four is dikaiosune, which is justice. When you do justice, that doesn't sound like alms at all. Mm. And, then, and then the second, which appears three times, is eleemosune, which is mercy. So really, this isn't about alms. It's, now, now eleemosune is the source of our, this is, this is not an everyday common English word, but eleemosunary an eleemosynary institution is an institution that gives away money. This is not off the, springing off the tip of everyone's tongue, I know. That comes from eleemosyune. Sorry for the Greek. I will send you the spelling. Um, the, uh, so there's, there's arguably an alms connection here, okay? But it's justice and mercy. So we get here at this pivot from one room to the next. We get a, we get a teaching about justice, backward-looking. It's the first of the four, as if you have come with Moses through the room of justice, and you have begun to take on covenants and been warned of penalties, and that is all the land of justice. But now moving forward, we're entering the land of mercy, of El Emosune. I think that's also implicit in, this, in, these, in these passages. Now, verse, or in these verses. Now, verse 5 we get, uh, we get an instruction on prayer, verse 5 and 6. When thou prayest, uh, don't pray on the street corner. It's what the hypocrites do. Hypocrite just means actor, those who are pretending. Uh, but thou, when thou prayest, go into your closet, shut the door. Okay? Who is thou? What does thou imply? You. You. Yeah, but one, okay. right? Thou is one person. Verse 7, but when ye pray. Use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. Be ye not like them, 
After this manner, pray ye. So we get, first of all, an instruction on here's how you should pray. And then we get taught, well, now here's how ye pray. Who's ye? Is that the plural you? That's y'all for Puritans, <laughs> right? Or all y'all, depending on where you come from in the South. When all y'all pray, pray like this. Um, and then we get the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven. And by the way, here, here back in the discussion on, of justice and mercy, we have these indications uh, reminded the Father is in heaven, and it says the Father is in secret, but he's seeing you. And all this is very interesting if you think that, that, that the person participating in this ordinance is standing in the large middle room, and that at one end of it there is a veil, and that behind it is God. Because God is in secret, but God can still see you. Okay? Uh, and, we, and we get again here, you know, uh, pray to your Father. Uh, well, this is the single instruction on prayer. Pray to your father, thy, thy father in secret. Thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee. Um, so uh, now we're praying. Our father which art in heaven, kingdom of heaven behind the veil there, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. You've heard this before. Mm -hmm. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. There's the kingdom again. Now, there's something fantastic about this. Um, by which I mean there's a bad translation. Okay? So, uh, when the King James says, give us this day our daily bread, and I think that um, I'm no expert in like line-by-line -line comparisons of biblical translations, but I've looked at a few others, and I think they, they all tend to say the same thing. Give us this day our daily bread. What is daily? The word, the Greek word, oh, I apologize. I'm going to say another Greek word here, Rick. The Greek word that is translated as daily is epiousios. Now, epi, you know what epi is. Epi is upon something. It's like your epidermis. It's the skin that's on top, mm -hmm. right? Epi is on. What's ousios? Usios is the participle of the verb to be. So it means the being one or the one who is the existent one. So the idea that the translators have is, is to read Epiusios as saying, well, the bread that is upon the existent day, right? It's epi upon the usios existent day. Today's bread. Give us this day our daily bread. That's not crazy. Except, what does the name Yahweh mean? There are arguments about exactly how to read it. But um, there is a scholarly consensus. Here, I'm going to scare quotes. I do not have a PhD. I have read a lot. Uh, the, the name is somehow connected with the verb to be. Okay, in Hebrew. Yahweh means something like the one who is or the one who causes to be, right? I thought it was I am. This is exactly right. So the one, one of the reasons why there's such a, an easy consensus on this is because the Old and the New Testament both seem to say so. 
right? So the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 3, Moses goes up, burning bush, Ehye Asher Ehye, sorry, that's Hebrew. I am that I am, right? Mm -hmm. I am the one who will be. I am the one who is. And conventional commentators will say, this is God who has previously been known as Elohim announcing himself as Yahweh. I am the one who is. I am Yahweh. And from now on, I am, you're going to know me in that name. Okay? Um, in John especially, in the other Gospels, but especially in John, Jesus makes these declarative statements about himself. Okay? Uh, I am. And egoemi in Greek. I am. And before Abraham, this is John 8, before Abraham was, I am. And they get mad. And it's not because he's claiming to be old. That's just a nutty opinion. You're not 2,000. It's that he's claiming to be Yahweh. Mm-hmm. So they get mad at him. He's claiming to be God. He's claiming to be God because God is the existent one, the one who is. And he says, I am. And by the, the best one is in the garden. So I think we're in John 19, something like that. And they come after him and they're like, we have a warrant for your arrest. I'm paraphrasing. And uh, are you this guy, Jesus? And he says, I am. And they fall down. <laughs> because the name is powerful. Because he has revealed himself as a divine person. Because possibly that scene is meant to remind us of the Day of Atonement when the high priest comes out of the temple. And this is the one time of year when he pronounces the name Yahweh and everyone falls down in worship, just like in First Nephi. People come into the presence of the tree and fall down. Okay, Jesus is announcing his divine identity. He is the one who is, and they fall. Okay, Usios is the existent one, the one that is. I don't think Epiusios bread means daily bread. I think it means give us this day the Yahweh bread. Hmm. That's the prayer. The bread of life, basically. The bread of life, the bread of heaven. Remember that Jesus in John 6 identifies himself as manna, right? Your fathers ate bread and, and I am the bread of heaven, right? And according to Hebrews, what is it, 9, 3, something like that, um, so Exodus says, uh, I think Exodus could be number, says that a pot of manna was kept in the presence of the, of the Lord, which means probably means in the temple somewhere. Hebrew says it was in the ark. Well, yeah, I just, there was a traveling tabernacle and that's what they said was manna was in the ark. That's from Hebrews. That's the New Testament take. The Old Testament is at least consistent with it in saying it's in the temple. So Jesus is identifying himself as the bread in the temple. I think he does it another time, actually. So Aaron and his sons, Leviticus 24, um, the bread of the presence is showbread. They bake this bread. We don't really know what it's like, but it has frankincense on it. So it's like got a, it's like a citrus flavored. So maybe it's like an orange sweet roll kind of thing. We don't really know. Okay. Um, and they eat it in the temple, and they do it as a zikaron, which is as a memorial. Uh, I think it says as a memorial is the is the King James translation. So we don't know exactly what that means. A memorial sacrifice. What is a memorial sacrifice? We don't know. But when Jesus goes into an upper room with his disciples in Luke twenty two, I think um, twenty two eighteen maybe, um, he and he breaks bread. He says, eat this in remembrance of me, right? Which I think maybe is an, a different way. He's, we know he identifies himself as manna, which is one way of thinking about bread in the heaven. Uh, sorry, bread in the temple, bread in heaven. 
Um, I think also he identifies himself in Luke 22 as the showbread, the bread of the presence. And I think that same bread is the epiusios bread that we are being taught to pray for. And I think that because we're going to get it in a few verses. It's going to be given to us. So we're uh, we're taught a group order of prayer here, okay? Um, uh, okay. Um, there's instruction on fasting, washing, and anointing. Now, I don't know how to take that. Again, if what we're seeing is something like crib notes for an ordinance, then maybe what we've got is a reference to maybe at this point people... Um, having prayed the prayer before they can have the feast with God, that's what's coming next. They are washed and anointed, uh, right? Maybe that's it. Uh, or maybe this is a reference, maybe this is teachings on washing, fasting. And maybe, maybe you come uh, in a fasting state and are having been washed and anointed. I don't know. But, that, but there's a connection there uh, with, uh, with this ordinance, uh, verses uh, 16 to 18. I shouldn't put the phone in front of the camera. Um, we get we get what I think is the last and very interesting commandment, um, verses nineteen through uh, twenty four. Um, and, and let me paraphrase it. Right, it says, "Don't don't lay up treasures on earth. Choose treasures in heaven." Again, heaven is the direction we're going. Uh, you can't serve two masters. Look, we get this this some kind of you're all in or you're out commandment here, okay, or moral teaching or commitment. It's the kingdom of heaven or bust, okay? You have to choose. It's God or mammon. There's no I'm minding my own business. That's mammon, right? Uh, so you've got to be all in or you're not in at all. Um, verse 25 through uh, most, most of the way through the rest of the chapter here. Um, Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? So there's eat and there's drink and there's clothing. Behold, the fowls of the air, they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns. Yet your father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Why take ye thought for raiment? Uh, uh, you know, consider the lilies of the field, God clothes uh, them in more glory than Solomon. What's going on here? I, I think there's a, um, here in the second room of the temple, if this, if this three-stage ordinance does indeed correspond to the three rooms of the temple, uh, I think there's a feast. And it's a feast with God. He feeds you. He gives you to drink. And he clothes you. And, uh, and, and this, by the way, uh, is, is one of the, the, the idea of God clothing you, is one of the indications um, that, hey, what, what is the story we're hearing here? Right? Well, like if, we're, if this is an ordinance, can we infer what, uh, what the myth is? Myth does not mean here a false story. It means an important story. What is the story that gives meaning to the ordinance here? Well, there's actually quite a, a clear story uh, in the Old Testament about someone whom God clothes, right? And that's Adam. 
So I think this is a feast with God. There is bread, there is wine, uh, and, and you are clothed. So in terms of stage directions, God who was in secret before, who was behind the veil, at this point has come out, right? And is participating with you uh, in a feast. And so that bread you just prayed for, here it is. Here, and what bread is it? It's the Epiusio spread. It's, the, it's, not, it's not just that the Lord is here. It's that he's bringing you the bread that is also the Lord, and you are taking of his substance, right? And he is clothing you to change your person, but you are also eating his flesh and drinking his blood to change, uh, to change your person. The, um, the chapter ends... Um, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So all of this has happened. We're still not to the kingdom of God, right? So we've learned more moral commandments. We've been taught how to maybe teachings of justice and mercy that are embedded in sacred signs we're not supposed to reveal. Uh, taught an individ individuals how to pray. Taught a group order of prayer. Washed and anointed we're brought into the presence of God and have a feast with, with God. We're still in the second room. The kingdom of heaven is still to come because that's the third room. Seek ye the kingdom and his righteousness. Now, righteousness is, is interesting. Well, first of all, um, take a look at Exodus 24, homework. Um, Exodus 24 is a three part ascent up a mountain. And most of Israel stays at the foot of the mountain, space one. The elders of Israel, Moses and Joshua, Joshua, by the way, his name in Greek is just Jesus. Joshua is Jesus. Jesus is Joshua. Moses and Joshua, Jesus, come with the elders into the second room, into the room of Matthew 6, into the Hakal, the long nave of the temple, and they have a feast with the Lord, and they see him, and they eat and drink with him. And then Moses and Joshua alone go up through a cloud to the highest level, about which we don't hear anymore. Right? So we're seeing, again, a three-part ascent up the mountain and, and a feast in the middle. By the way, righteousness. Seek after the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Um, there's, a, there's an interesting set of, and it's difficult to put your finger exactly on the killer verse here, but there's an interesting set of correspondences that kind of circle all around this idea of righteousness. The um, righteousness in Hebrew is Zedek. The name Melchizedek is, uh, means something like, my name is righteousness, or, or sorry, not my name, my king is righteousness, or the king of righteousness, Melchizedek. So I think that when the Lord, when God, and, 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 and I think if you say, hey, Dave and LDS theology, those are not the same things, parse those out. Like, I'm not sure I can in the text here, okay? I'm, in fact, I'm going to lump some things together. I think when, when the Lord or God come down into the feast with the shalom, the peaceable ones who have approached... Um, I think that the name of the Lord in that capacity, 
coming to preside at the feast is Melchizedek. I think that's a sacred name, and that's that is the Lord in that in that capacity. And so when when Matthew six thirty seven, whatever the verse is here says, uh, follow seek the kingdom and his righteousness, it's because Melchizedek has gone back, and there's a stage direction here, um, and and we're meant to follow him. Um, a word about Melchizedek. There's so much to say about Melchizedek. When he shows up in Genesis 18, um, uh, is it 18? 14. Genesis 14, verse 18, maybe. Um, uh, the King James says, uh, he was Melchizedek, uh, king of Salem. Um, maybe there was a place called Salem. Maybe Salem was an old name for Jerusalem. We don't have great evidence for either of those propositions. But there is another way to read, straightforward read that same Hebrew. When it says he was Melchizedek Melech Shalem, and we translate it as Melchizedek, the king of Salem. We could also translate it as Melchizedek, the peaceable king, or the Shalem king. The same word that I think is the end of Matthew 5.48. And so I think what you have here is having made it to this middle room, you're one of the peaceable ones. And the king of peace, the king of the peaceable ones, Alma 13 says the reason for Melchizedek's name is that he was the prince of peace. It doesn't say he was the you know, king of Salem. It was the prince of peace. Um, comes down and feeds you the feast of his own uh, flesh and blood, which, by the way, means the beatitude, which says... Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled, is being fulfilled right here. Because you hungered and thirst after righteousness, you prayed, give me the bread that you are in. Give me the you bread, the Yahweh bread, the Melchizedek bread. And Melchizedek, Yahweh the Lord, appeared and fed you the feast of his own flesh and blood, and you were filled with righteousness. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Dave Butler. He's the author of Plain and Precious Things. In our next conversation, he's going to explain what the difference between the editors of the Bible versus the Book of Mormon were. The Bible and the Book of Mormon are both edited anthologies. The difference is the Book of Mormon editor tells us who he is and what he's doing, and the Bible editors do not. Thanks for listening, and I hope you continue to enjoy Gospel Tangents. Consider becoming a Patreon or go to gospeltangents.com slash shop, and you can get a cool tie, a hat, or even a nice mug. You can also get a sweatshirt, so check it out at gospeltangents.com slash shop.